0: Father, we really need for you to speak to us in this moment, in this hour. We know that you have so much more for us. You know, we know that you um, really desire so much more that we uh, could and should be doing as your children. And we have to begin by just confessing that sometimes we get complacent, sometimes we get um, lazy. Sometimes we get disinterested, bored, distracted. Would you call us back to yourself? That's what we need more than anything else. That our commitment would uh, be be rekindled. That we would have that zeal of living for you and serving you That, uh, that you so desire from us. And that we desire for ourselves, really. So speak to us, Father, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I think all of us would agree with the statement that times have really changed. Um, they've, they've changed rapidly. And I, I've been in ministry now for 51 years. And there's been a, what I would call a disturbing trend that has been happening in ministry, has been taking place over the last several, several number of years. And Uh, That trend is kind of modeled in my own experience here at at Calvary Baptist Church Uh, When I first came here over 13 years ago uh, on any given Sunday morning There would be at, at you know at 945 there would be anywhere from 150 to 170 180 people who would be involved in small group Bible studies, uh, youth Bible study, uh, children's uh, Sunday school, lots and lots of people. And the worship services, we would have anywhere from 250 to 270 people gathered in this worship place. In fact, four or five years before I even came to Calvary, on a Sunday morning, there'd be over 400 people here, regularly, on a regular basis. And uh, But over the years attendance has declined and it's declined for it for a variety of reasons uh you know uh, no doubt this pandemic thing has has impacted a lot of that but um because suddenly uh we went from about 150 170 on sunday morning to zero in the building for a couple of months and um, Then we cautiously opened back up and there were 30 people and 40 people and 50 people who showed up and then before you knew it, we were in the 70s and 80s, but we kind of never have gotten out of that, out of that range and our online audience uh, initially was in the hundreds. We'd have 400, 300, 400, 500 people who are watching us in some form or fashion online during the week and then kind of the same problem yet those numbers have begun to decline other people have now you know started showing back up in the in the worship service but overall our numbers are down (coughs) and paralleling that folks has been a significant decrease in giving to the church Uh, our giving really fell off in the month of may and has not picked back up and uh, as a result of that it's could become a significant barrier for us as a church to be able to minister in Elko in, in the days ahead. And I say all of this to highlight a problem that's confronting not just our church, but churches throughout America. And, uh, and the, the real decline is a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a commitment by those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And what I think we're seeing is that we're seeing a disconnect between commitment and identifying ourselves as Christians. You know, I can call myself a Christian and never exhibit the characteristics of a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and i'm not just talking about our church but i'm talking about churches all across america this very same thing is happening in church after church after church Uh, and trends are indicating folks that church as you and i know it will never bounce back to be the same as it was Uh, recent studies highlighted what i say are three very disturbing trends Today, the average church in America is running 36% of the attendance it had in the year 2020, just two years ago. Now, I'm not even talking about back in the 1950s and 1960s, the heyday of churches when everybody was, churches were bursting at the seams. I'm talking about just two years ago. 36% of attendance that we have. That means that two thirds of the people have stopped worshiping across the nation in, in, in America. Um, and I, I, know, I know, you know, that, that we've, in lots of locales, we've heard the words, you know, stay home, isolate, watch online, stay safe. And, and that's all well and good, okay? I'm not trying to, to you know, throw smoke on anybody who's watching online. I'm, I'm not doing that. But I want you to consider this next statistic. <clears throat> 41 percent of those in the gen z crowd now those are the 10 through 25 year olds okay uh that's the next generation that's what we could call them 41 percent say they want to worship uh, when they worship they want to do it in person but listen to what i just said 41 percent says yeah when we worship we'll do it in person that means that 59 percent That means that six out of 10 of Gen Z are saying, I don't want to worship in a public gathering anymore. And when I do worship, I want to worship on TV, online, in some kind of form like that. And and a corollary to that, you know what the the generation that wants to worship publicly is? You probably guessed it. It's an easy guess. It's the boomer generation. That's my generation, those 55 to, to 75. We want to worship in person. For many of you who are in that generation, you know, right now, your health concerns are such that maybe I don't need to get back out and, and so forth. And, and so that's, that's kind of a skewed statistic. But by and large, those are the people who want to worship in public. But here's the rub. My generation is passing on. And my generation is the leadership of the church. And what that means is that I, my generation should be passing leadership on to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation after that. And is there going to be anybody to pass that on to? Now, what I want to do is I am going to analyze for us why this sudden and rapid decline in participation in, in worship in the church family. Why is this happening? We're going to talk in the weeks ahead about, well, what do we do about this? Where do we go from here? but let, let's talk about why this, this decline in worship across the nation, not just here, but across the nation. Honestly, folks, we can't blame COVID for this because this trend was happening before COVID happened. It's just accelerated. It's made it very much more obvious. Instead, the problem arises out of the fact That we have too many people who have embraced Christianity without discipleship. Let me repeat that. We have too many people who have embraced Christianity without discipleship. That is, without a real honest to goodness commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Folks, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, there are not too many disciples out there. And so what do I mean by discipleship? Well, <clears throat> for one thing, I'm really talking about the normal life of what a Christian ought to be. The, the word disciple <clears throat> is found in the New Testament about 280 different times. And it's used to refer to followers of Jesus Christ, believers, Christians, you know, those who would attach themselves uh, to Jesus Christ by faith. And really it refers to anyone in scripture who becomes a follower of the way anyone who followed Jesus Christ So a a disciple was one who attached himself or herself to a teacher to learn from that teacher and to become like that teacher So here's a question that I want us to wrestle with can a person be a Christian and not be a disciple can a person be a christian and not be a disciple for a lot of people they would say yeah you can do that oh you can do that and unfortunately it would seem like that evangelical christianity has accepted and really folks even encouraged a two-level christian experience where you know there's some serious christians who, who want to pursue and practice discipleship And then there's a lot of people who are just relying on grace and forgiveness, and that's good enough for me, and I don't need to do anything beyond that. Uh, The late Dallas Willard, who was a professor of philosophy at uh, USC, said this. He says, we have not only been saved by grace, we have been paralyzed by it. We've not only been saved by grace, but we've been paralyzed by that. He went on to add that, you know, the church stresses who is saved and who isn't saved. But what we're doing is we're, we're simply seeing faith as an agreement with certain stated documents. We just sang a creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's a creed. It's a statement that we make. These are the things we believe in. But is that all? Is, is that what we're doing? I mean, that's what most Christians do. I have a set things that I believe, therefore I am a Christian. And when we do that, we've lost the idea of discipleship. What does it really mean to follow Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be totally committed and surrendered to Jesus Christ in our, in our life? Because when we lose discipleship folks, we lose vibrant Christianity. Um, Dallas Willard went on and he said this, Discipleship is the relationship I stand into Jesus Christ in order that I might take on his character. As his disciple, I am learning from him how to live my life in the kingdom as he would if he were me. The natural outcome is that my behavior is transformed. Increasingly, I routinely and easily do the things he said and did. In other words, folks, we can't truly follow Jesus without desiring to become like him, to reflect him in all we do. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was uh, uh, killed by the Nazis during World War II, uh, said this. He says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Let me repeat that. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And I would add that without Christ, there is no redemption. And uh, therefore, the title Christian It's nothing more than telling somebody he's a Democrat or Republican or he's a Christian. It's just a title, it's it's some kind of of marker, but it really doesn't impact their life. To be a Christian, folks, is to be a disciple. And a disciple is one who's characterized by some very key ideas, such as following, such as obeying, such as submitting, such as being transformed, such as changing, such as giving, such as growing in your faith, such as being a part of, of uh, the family of God. Folks, if you're no different today than when you got, quote, saved, then I really wonder if you really understand what it means to be a Christian. Because Christianity, folks, is about the change in our life. We've used this verse a number of times over the last number of weeks, but it is a key verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new or have become new. And yet, what we see in the lives of many people, and I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians, is there's no change. There's no transformation. They're still hopping the bars. They're still getting drunk. They're still having premarital sex, extramarital sex. Uh, they're still divorcing. There's no change. There's no difference. If that's what it means to be a Christian, no wonder the world doesn't want anything to do with us. We're to be different. And our lives are to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And we're to grow every day to become more and more like him in what we're doing now let me ask the question how in the world did the church in america get this place get to this place how could this have happened well let me mention something that maybe you've heard of this term before but if not here's a new term for you we're talking about the american gospel the american gospel That is, what does it take for a person in the United States to become a Christian, to be called a Christian? And what we find is that the American gospel is really promoting what I would call a non-discipleship Christianity. That is, people can be Christian without making any effort to submit and follow Jesus Christ. And that's tragic. That's tragic. The typical American gospel message, first of all, limits grace to just forgiveness from sin. That's what grace is. It's forgiveness from sin. And so we place the emphasis on conversion, you know, the results, rather than the whole journey. You know, we've got to get you saved. But what happens to you after you're saved? Well, I don't know, and I I, I really don't care, you know, but at least you're saved we preach ephesians 2 8 and 9 you know for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast that's what we preach but we never go on to verse 10 where it says for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god has prepared us beforehand so that we can walk in them so first of all, we're limiting grace just to simple forgiveness and then second We're separating justification that is being put right with God from sanctification Growing in our relationship with God. We've essentially um, You know separated salvation into two parts. There's the new birth You're saved you say the sinner's prayer and, and boy You got it and you're a born, e- born again, born-again Christian And then we've got part two over here that talks about growing in your faith in Jesus Christ to become more and more like him. But rather than having two separate things, folks, the Bible teaches that both parts are absolutely necessary. It's not just trust. Folks, it's trust and obey. It's trust and obey. And then the American gospel also teaches that faith equals just agreement with a set of religious facts. I need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God I need to believe that he rose from the dead I believe that he died for my sin and you believe those things and you're good to go all you have to do is agree with those beliefs and you're saved the problem is that we have created and we've taught a faith that doesn't transform people it doesn't change lives See, believing in Jesus Christ has no meaning if you don't follow in discipleship to become more and more like Him. Believing has, you know, without discipleship really isn't believing. It's just agreeing to a set of facts about a religious personality. So look at what we're producing with this kind of approach. <clears throat> we have, we're certainly not having reborn disciples who are committed to the great commission of Jesus Christ Uh, Instead what we have is we've got we've created consumers of religious goods and services You know give me a good show on Sunday morning and maybe some words that can warm my soul and make sure you've got some Programs to keep my children occupied and maybe how about throw in a small group so I can get together with some friends And we can gossip with one another and we can talk about the weather and so forth Um, But don't expect any more from me That's about all I'm going to give you on a Sunday or on the week do you know in america the average quote christian attends church maybe three out of every eight sundays we haven't even got half-time christians we've got three-eighths christians isn't this tragic? And, and the idea is that, we, you know, we, we think that, well, we're just going to come here and we're going to sit and we're going to listen for an hour and then going to leave and I'm going to feel real good about myself. That I have now fulfilled my obligation. And what we do it, during the rest of the week, it's of little consequence at all. Our lives aren't changed and we're not submitting, we're not seeking to obey Christ. <clears throat> now, here's the problem. That I, why I've been emphasizing this because we have preached a different gospel The American gospel, you know, let's get everybody to make a decision for Christ That's a different gospel other than the gospel that the Bible declares that to be a Christian is to be a follower Who is daily living to become more and more like Jesus Christ and his life is changing It's being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ because we've been proclaiming a different gospel we have a vast throng of people in our country who think that they're Christians. They're born again. They're, they've been saved. You know, all of those, those monikers that we throw out there. But they really aren't. The proof is in the pudding. What did Jesus say in Matthew seven twenty one? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you catch in that the concept of obedience it's obedience the ones who say I will do the father's will and they do it those are the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven maybe folks honestly we've made Christianity too easy too easy just make say some words you know and 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 it'll be okay The problem facing our church and every other church in America is that people can be Christian without any effort to submit and to obey Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's little commitment, and and it really shows itself in obedience. Um, This has led uh, pastor and and writer uh, Bill Hull to call, uh, he calls barcode or QR code Christians you know, you've got the moniker. They believe the right things, but they're not following Jesus. We need to understand that the real gospel does call us to repent from our sins, but it also calls us to follow Jesus Christ each and every day and to be obedient. And to follow is to obey everything that Jesus taught us. And the evidence of salvation is not that I can say the right things, But is my life being transformed? Is it being changed? Is my life reflecting Jesus Christ in everything I do and in everything I say? And I'm not talking about earning our salvation here. I'm talking about the proof of my salvation should be seen in everything that I do. So the the question that we need to wrestle with is simply this. Does the gospel that we proclaim produce disciples Or does it produce consumers of religious goods and services? And if I'm really a follower of Jesus Christ, is it seen every day in my life in it, in the commitment and the changes that are taking place? Or am I just a phony, a follower in name only with little evidence from Monday through Saturday that I really am a follower of Jesus Christ? What I'm talking about is our commitment. Does my walk with Jesus Christ shine through my commitment to the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Pastor John and I have been talking a lot about the commitment level of our, <clears throat> of our church family for some time now. I want you to listen to his thoughts on this subject. Watch this video. Hi everyone, Pastor John here. I have
1: something to ask you. How are you doing? What are you doing? Let's say you attend CBC. You come when you're able, you know, unless something comes up or you've had a hard week at work or you're having people over for the game. And when you do come through the front doors, there's always someone there to say hello and to shake your hand and hand you a worship guide. If you have kids, someone in our Kids Connection greets you and gets your child checked in. You think to yourself, hey, they probably don't need me to serve. It looks like they have it handled. Except you notice that it does seem to be the same people greeting and working in kids every time you come. And when you do come to church, it looks like the lights are on and the building is in okay shape. It looks like some people are giving, which, you know, that, that takes some of the pressure off. You give when you think of it, but sometimes... Things are tight at the end of the month or the beginning of the month. Anyway, you don't like carrying a checkbook around and getting that kind of thing together when you're trying to rush out the door on Sunday morning is hard. And when you do plan to give, sometimes you just forget to do it. I mean, sure, there are five different giving boxes in the building and online giving is available from your phone anytime, anywhere. But but it's, it's still hard. You know, Pastor Sam and Pastor John keep talking about joining a, what's it called? Oh, 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 a disciple group. Something about growing in my walk with Jesus or something. Hey, I work hard all week. I only get two or three days and every evening off. I don't have time to grow in my walk with Jesus. I do just fine reading the Bible on my own. I do that a solid two or three times a week. And I have projects going on around the house, and the kids have ball games, and I need time to unwind. You might be saying, Pastor John, I don't like where this is going. I don't like what you're implying. It seems like you're saying I should do more for Jesus. What gives you the right to tell me how to live? You're right. I don't have the right to tell you how to live. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if any of you wants to become my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And he said in Luke 14, 27, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And why does he want this from his followers? Because he gave his all for us. He didn't have to leave heaven, come to earth, live a sinless human life, and die a very agonizing death on a cross but he did. So when the Bible says to be a generous, cheerful giver, when the Bible says not to forsake assembling yourself with other believers, basically come to church, when the Bible says the early church gathered in groups every day in order to have a right relationship with Jesus. Is any of that too much to ask? Well, Consider who's doing the asking. So again, how are you doing?
0: What? are you doing? So what does it really mean then to, uh, to be a disciple? Let's go back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry with his disciples. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, in verse 16, we read these words. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living Jesus called out to them come Follow me and I will show you how to fish for people and they left their nets at once and followed him now As we consider what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ um, Here's some things you need to know first of all when Jesus began his ministry, he settled in the village of Capernaum. Capernaum was in an area called the Triangle, which would have been a Bethsaida, Chorazin, and, and uh, Capernaum. The significance of Bethsaida is that in, initially, it was the hometown of Peter and Andrew, of James and John, and Philip. Uh, later, it looks like at least Peter and Andrew moved to Capernaum, Where Jesus was and not only that but Capernaum is where Matthew was called to leave his tax-gatherers booth and follow Jesus Christ so this area the triangle Bethsaida Chorazin and Capernaum was a hotbed of rabbinical communities and rabbis and and their disciples in fact these three communities were the leading center of Jewish disciple making in all of Galilee and Judea and discipleship in the, in the first century Jewish world consisted of really three building blocks. Community, the Word of God, and attachment to a rabbi or, or, or a teacher. So first there was the community that involved the synagogue teaching. And, uh, and, and the teaching was to uh, young boys and girls most likely. <coughs> they would begin this phase of their training called Beth uh, Sefer, They would begin sometime between the age of four and five years old. And they would start by studying the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible. And much of those first five books of the Bible would be memorized. So that by the age of 10 or 11, many of those young boys and young girls could quote from memory the entire first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you and I chafe when somebody says, here's a memory verse for you this week. Go out and do that, you know. They had the entire first five books of the Bible by memory. And so at that point, 10, 11, something around there, uh, schooling was finished for all of the girls and for most of the boys. They would, those boys would return home and, and they would begin, you know, they'd get involved in the family trade. They would learn the family trade. The better students, though, would move on to Beth Midrash, or what we might call secondary school. And here they, along with, with many of the elders, uh, I mean the other adults in the community, they would study the prophets and other parts of the Old Testament. And in addition, they would begin learning the oral traditions of Judaism and how it applied to daily living. Then of these students, the best of the best would make a decision, you know what? I want to learn more. I really want to immerse myself more and more in the law of Moses and, and learn everything I can. And so they would petition one of the many rabbis in the region, could I become your student? Could I become your disciple? I want to study under you. And they would be selected as then as the, the rabbi's talmudim or students. That was, that's what that word means. But they weren't students just in the sense that, that we think of it. They weren't just there to learn knowledge from that teacher. Instead, it was much more extensive. It was a total immersion in the teachings, in the ways, in the lifestyle of that rabbi. And, and it's really seen in five different areas. To be a disciple, first of all, you attached yourself to a rabbi. You submitted to them. I mean, these young Jewish men, you know, could join a variety of different schools under different rabbis. But they would find the one they wanted, and they would join themselves to that. And in most cases, it was the disciple who chose the teacher and asked him, can I join you? Not only was there submission to a teacher, But second, then the disciple began to learn the words of the teacher. Uh, He would learn the teacher's stories. He would learn his life habits. He would learn how that teacher keeps the Sabbath and uh, the teacher's ways and how he interprets the Torah. Uh, And all of that would be committed to memory. They were remembering verbatim what the teacher taught them. Uh, That was the standard learning technique of the day. They would be memorizing. That's why, for for one thing, you and I can have great confidence in the words that are recorded here from Jesus' lips because the disciples would have learned verbatim what he said. And they wrote these back down in there. So a disciple learned the the, the words of, of the teacher. And then third, the disciple learned the way of ministry of the teacher. How did he serve? How did he minister? How did he keep God's commandments? Uh, how did he practice the Sabbath? How did he fast? How did he pray? Uh, how did he say blessings at ceremonial occasions? He would learn the rabbi's teaching methods and the many traditions that the master followed. And then fourth, he would imitate the, master's, the rabbi's life and his character. In fact, Jesus says in, in Luke 6, verse 40, that when a disciple is fully taught, he will be like him his teacher that was the highest calling of a disciple to imitate his teacher and then fifth eventually a disciple would gather other other people around him and he would disciple them in the ways of his rabbi in the teachings of his rabbi in the ministry of his rabbi in the lifestyle of his rabbi they would pass on what they had learned that's what it means to follow a rabbi in jesus day and the difference maybe between Jesus and the other rabbis simply lay in the fact that the disciples didn't choose Jesus. But what? Jesus chose them. Come and see. Come and follow me. Come and I will make you to become fishers of men. So it's Jesus took the initiative. In fact, John fifteen sixteen, 16, uh, Jesus said, You did not choose me. He's talking to his disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and bear fruit. So how does this translate into the 21st century? If you and I are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, what does that really look like? Well, first of all, attaching and submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord. You know what the word Lord means? It means master. It means the boss, the one who calls the shots in your life. For the 12, there came a time, folks, that first year or so they were with Jesus, then they were doing back at home doing their thing and then they'd be with jesus but the last two years they were continually constantly with jesus 24 7 all the time do you and i live in a 24-hour awareness that we belong to jesus christ Where every single minute of the day we're referring to him and thinking about him. And how do you want me to respond in this situation? What would you have me to do here, Lord? Is he exclusively our boss? The Lord of our life. And then second, are we learning the words of our master? Sadly, statistics point out that only one third of Christians read the Bible on a regular basis during the week. That means that two-thirds of people who are church members who call themselves Christians are not getting into God's Word. They don't know what God's teaching them because they're not looking into God's Word. You know, a 12-year-old child in Jesus' day had five books of the Bible memorized. And you and I chafe when we're talking about one verse or two verses. And then third, a disciple was one who learned how his master expected him to live and serve and minister. So do we live like Jesus expects us to live? Are we living according to his will and and his desires for our life? Or are we just obeying when it's convenient? Are we serving? Do you realize the average church, only 10% of the people are involved in service, in ministry, and the rest just sit? If we're gonna be following our master, his, he says, I came to serve. You and I need to serve as well. This class that I'm gonna have next uh, Sunday will help you to learn where you can plug in with your gifts and your talents to serve in God's kingdom. And then fourth, a disciple imitated the lifestyle of his master, a lifestyle of holiness and care and compassion folks christians today need to be different from the world how does your world stack how does your life stack up in comparison to the world around you and then last a disciple is one who's leading others to be discipled so that they can follow that same master that same rabbi we've talked about who's your one i hope by now You've been praying for the one person you wanted to see come to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and some of you have seen that happen So now you have a responsibility to train and to teach them What does it really mean to follow Jesus Christ? I'm a Christian now I've got them saved Now it's your responsibility to keep them growing and keep them going. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It simply means that I am going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's interesting in Acts chapter 11 verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Did you catch this? They were disciples before they were called Christians. We've got it backwards, don't we? we want everybody to be a Christian and then maybe you can get on to discipleship. But that's not the pattern of scripture. They were disciples before they became, they were called Christians. And what is a disciple? A disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him how he or she should live, how to follow Christ. A disciple learns the words of Jesus. A disciple learns Jesus' ways of ministry. A disciple imitates Jesus' life and his character. A disciple finds and teaches others who also follow Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All the rest is less than the best. In fact, a lot of it is just fake and phony. And I don't want you going through life being a fake or, or, or a phony. That's not what Christianity is all about. What I want you to know and what I want you to hear from me Christianity is not easy. It's not easy. Um, it's not cheap it's costly but folks there's no greater life that can be had on the face of this earth my challenge for us is that let's be real disciples of Jesus Christ how do you reverse this trend that's what we're gonna look at over the next several weeks this trend that we, we see I think one of the key things is that each and every one of us need to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord In other words, what we need to do is we need to go back to the beginning and surrender all that we are to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior.